we're going through the stories that are leading up to, to Jesus, and today's story is about Isaac and Rebecca. There was a young girl testing out the ice on a pond uh, on a spring day, and she looked back to see a young man coming down the bank that she liked, but he wasn't paying any attention to her until the ice cracked and he turned to watch as she fell through the ice. Quickly, he clambered out and rescued her, and that was the beginning of a beautiful relationship. But she had to break the ice. <laughs> you knew where that one was going, don't you? <laughs> one of the most significant decisions that we can make is the person that we'll marry. Who will make a covenant with to spend the rest of our life? And we're going to be talking about that decision process today. And my focus is going to be the younger people in our church. Now, I'm going to just point out, if you are 10 or 11 or 12, this is still a good conversation for you, even though the idea of a relationship with somebody of the opposite gender might be a hateful thing at the moment. And then if you're a teenager and you're just embarrassed that I'm talking about this subject and want to crawl under your pew, just... (laughs) <laughs> and your dad is pointing at you, um, <laughs> just realize this is a conversation that's really important, and everybody in this room values this conversation. I'm saying that on your behalf. I'm assuming this is going to be true. <laughs> if you're a young adult, and this is something that's very present in your life, a stressor, then I hope that, that you'll be blessed by the time we spend in God's Word today. We're going to read a story from Genesis chapter 24, and I'd like you to turn there as we read it together. Isaac has three stories in the Bible. The first story is the story of Isaac on the mountain, when Abram brought Isaac up there at God's command to sacrifice him. And this reveals something important about Isaac's character. How many 20-something young men would be willing for their father to take them, lay them on an altar, and kill them? Like how many young men would surrender themselves to that. There, there would be two things that are really important about Isaac's character. First, that he was an obedient son. And second, that he was a son that knew God. Right? This is important stuff about his character, but that's not the story we're going to focus on. The other story it's on the, at the end of his life is the story of his two twin sons who are vying for his blessing at the end of his life. And it demonstrates something about Isaac's character, that he was somebody with flaws. And, uh, and I think that's the reality with all people, right? He, he had preferential treatment towards one of his sons, and it ended up bringing a rivalry in his family that was really unhealthy. But we're not going to focus on that either. We're going to look in the middle story, and that's the story of Isaac and Rebekah in a message I'm calling God's Matched, God's Matched Set. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 24 and read um, a few verses here and then tease out some lessons. Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. 
The servant asked, but what if I can't find a young woman who is willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac there to live among your relatives in the land that he, you came from? No, Abraham responded, be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give me this land to my descendants. He will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you will find a wife there for my son. If she is unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine, but under no circumstances are you to take my son there. So the servant took an oath by putting his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham. He swore to follow Abraham's instructions. The first principle that I'd like to tease out of this story is a a simple one, it's foundational, it's a big deal, and we often ignore it. And it's this, find a spouse that shares your faith. Abraham knew that if Isaac married one of the women from the nations surrounding him, that he would fairly soon, within a generation or even less, abandon the covenant of God. He didn't want that, and so he wanted to ensure Isaac had a wife that shared his faith. A little bit later, God explicitly told the Israelites not to marry the Canaanites, and and he said it in Deuteronomy 7, 3 like this, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. And this is a repeated theme in the Bible. Just from Genesis all the way to the New Testament, you find um, stories of, of Israel going bad in this way by um, intermarrying with the surrounding nations. And then within a generation, they're back into idolatry and abandoning the worship of God. You can find it in Genesis through Deuteronomy. You can find it in Judges. You can find it in Samuel. You can find it in Kings and Chronicles and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Nehemiah. And you get the idea. Everywhere in the Bible, there's this admonition not to intermarry or the results of them disobeying. This was true in the Old Testament, but it's also true in our day today. Whenever you marry somebody that doesn't share your love for Jesus, it's pretty soon that that person will slide away, maybe first from involvement, but ultimately from faith itself. Sometimes they come back. I've seen, uh, I've not been alive that long, but I've seen it happen uh, a bunch where a young person will marry somebody that doesn't share their faith and, and very few of them end up coming back um, to God. And it's also interesting when, you, when you're thinking about that, well, how do you marry somebody of your own faith? Well, Abraham's, Abraham's solution was to send his servant to where the godly women would be. And I think that's a really important principle that we should um, be aware of. Build relationships with godly young people. That's one of the biggest things that you can do when you're looking at this question about who would God want you to marry. Um, Abraham sends his servant, and um, you think about this, not every place that you are has lots of godly young people, right? So here in Bonner's Ferry, um, there's definitely a few great young people in our church family, uh, but, but you might want to expand your friendship circle a bit. How do you do that? Well, you go to where godly young people would be. You go where young people are worshiping God. When there's a Pathfinder teen event, that's a great place to make friends. When there's a, um, a young adult gathering, that's a great place to make friends. Um, make some efforts. And I want to just say this, 
if you have an interest in going to something like this and you don't feel like you have the money, um, this is a church family that will make sure that you can go to something like that, right? I'm sure there people here. There would be people here that would say, let me drive you there, or here, I'll pay your way to go. Um, if you want to be where young people are, this is a place that will want to make sure that you can be there. Go to places where young people are worshiping. Go to places where young people are doing mission, because godly young people are involved in serving others and doing the mission of God. And so, when you go to to do those kinds of things, you'll find people that share your faith. And you can also find godly young people in Christian educational settings. Don't shy away from going to a Christian college. I, I know I'm, this might be controversial with some of the parents in the room here, um, but I've, I've seen a lot of young people go to get to the point of college and instead of going to, say, Walla Walla or Southern or Southwestern or Union or, you know, one of these colleges, um, they'll, they'll say, well, it's expensive. And so, start out in a, a local community college. That's the easiest way to do it. Uh, you'll get your credits, right? You'll be in a good environment. And then, and then maybe the last couple of years, you can go to, to one of these Christian colleges. And I, I just want to be the first to say, our colleges are filled with sinful people, just like all other colleges are. Adventist colleges, Christian colleges are filled with sinful people. And, and you can find what you're looking for. Probably one of the most significant things that uh, leads up to whether you have a successful experience in a Christian college or any college is the character that you bring to that college, right? Um, but if you want to find godly young people, you need to go where godly young people are. And godly young people are often found in Christian educational settings. And I've told young people as they're in that decision phase, where should they go? You know, how much money is it going to cost? And I say, invest in Christian college. Because if you don't, you're probably going to marry from among your circle of friends. And your circle of friends is being built right now in this time of your life. Go build a good circle of friends. It'll be worth the investment. And often they don't. And every single time I've given that counsel and they've rejected it and gone to a public university or a public situation, every single time they've married somebody that isn't an, uh, of their faith, that doesn't share their faith in Christ, and they've fallen away from the church. It's a somber thing, I'm telling you that, not because I know every circumstance. I'm sure there's lots of situations where that hasn't happened. I know of one right here in our, our audience where they went to a public university, found a godly woman. Um, but that's not the norm. <laughs> that's out of the statistical norm. So go to where godly young people are. Build a good circle of friends. Principle number one, find a spouse that shares your faith. The second principle is to seek godly counsel. In Genesis 25, 20, the Bible tells us that Isaac was 40 years old. That's about my age, roughly. I've been around enough, had enough life experience. I've interacted with enough, enough other relationships that if I were single, I kind of think that I would have, I would, I would be tempted to think that I would have enough wisdom to find a spouse on my own, right? I don't need my dad I don't need that servant. I can figure this out on my own. I'm 40 years old. But Isaac surrenders himself, submits himself to his fathers and this wise older servant's um, influence and allows them to be involved in the process. Now, you and I aren't in, in a culture where our parents choose our spouse. Um, when I was young, I listened to a series of, of audio tapes, and it was about 
um, choosing a spouse. And I think I was 15 or 16, and, and I'd recently had a bit of heartbreak. Um, and, uh, so I listened to it, and I'm like, fine, mom, dad, you find me a spouse, right? And then what happened next was not good. <laughs> I won't tell that story. Um, <laughs> but there's something, there's something about um, our culture today that, that that's not a, a cool thing. But let me just say, if, if you choose to find a, a spouse that your parents don't like, and they say, this is a bad idea, especially if they're parents that love Jesus, then be very, very wary. It's a dangerous thing to think that you're smart enough to see all of the things that your parents can see or those other godly counselors in your circle can see. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. Um, And it's not just because of age, because even a 40-year-old can be uh, uninformed, unaware, unable to make these choices well by themselves. And there's a couple reasons. First of all, uh, if you don't have experience in, in marriage, then it's hard to know what you're looking for. It's hard to know the signs of the good and the bad, right? You don't, you don't know the flags that would say, caution, there's a problem here. And so you might unwittingly make a decision you think is wise that really isn't. It's, it's foolish. Um, but the second reason is as soon as you get those romantic hormones into the mix, then something happens with your brain and your frontal lobe shuts down. And it doesn't matter what age you are, you will be blinded by love. (laughs) You need somebody that doesn't have blinders on that can see clearly and tell you the truth. And usually, young people, that's not your peers. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is, but usually they don't have enough life wisdom. Um, In Adventist Home, uh, Ellen White says, a youth not out of their teens is a poor judge of the fitness of a person as young as himself to be his companion for life. That's an interesting thought. Maybe we should get more people involved in this decision process. But it's embarrassing when you're, like, liking somebody and there's all kinds of those emotions and it just feels embarrassing, right? But let me just this. Get over it and ask for help. <laughs> it's always going to be better when you involve people in the, in, in the, the relationship. When you bring people in and, and say, help us learn how to be good at this relationship stuff. Studies of marriages have shown that a couple is more than twice as likely to get a divorce if they are married, if either or both of them marry before they're 25, or if they have less than two years of a relationship before they get married. These are statistics. Some of you will have uh, say, ha, <laughs> I beat those statistics. But, but, but we're talking statistically, an 18-year-old that gets married is more likely to get divorced than a 25-year-old. Somebody who's had a relationship for six months is much more likely to get divorced than somebody who's had a relationship for a couple years, right? Those are statistics. Spend some time. Don't rush into this. Get lots of help. And while you're at a Christian college, this is a good example, right? While you're at a Christian college, you build a circle of friends and you've got an opportunity to to find these um, godly people. Out of the mix of a wide variety of interesting characters, you'll find a few that have fantastic godly characteristics. And you can say, I want to I make friends with that person. Well, then spend time with that person and get advice about those people, right? Whoever, however many there are that you're thinking about. And then in that context, you can build an intentional relationship 
spend a couple years focusing on that, and by the time you're out of college or right at the end of it, you can get married. And you'll have had both of the round mid-20s um, thing uh, checked off and a couple years of, of relationship. So um, you can beat the odds in an environment where there's lots of godly young people available. Let's, uh, principle number two is seek godly counsel. Let's keep going in Genesis chapter 24. In verse 10, it says, Then he loaded ten of Abram's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master, and he traveled to the distant um, Aram Naharim. <laughs> I think that's back where in Haram, where, where they, they left um, Nahor. And there he went to the town where Abram's brother Nahor had settled. He made the camels kneel beside a well just outside the town. It was evening, and the women were uh, coming out to draw water. O Lord God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside this spring, and the women, young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one that you've selected as Isaac's wife. Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca come out with his water jug, with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a, a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her water jug, and came up again, running over to her. The servant said, Please give me a drink of water from your jug. Yes, my lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. And when she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, unless they have had enough to drink, and, or until she, they have had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for all his camels. The servant watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in this mission. Then, at last, when the camels had finished drinking, you get the idea that that might have taken a bit, um, he took out a gold ring from her nose and two large gold bracelets from her wrists, for her wrists. Whose daughter are you, he asked, and please tell me, would your father have any room to put, up, put us up for the night? I'm the daughter of Bethuel, she replied. My grandparents are Nahor and Milcah. Yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for the camels, and we have room for the guests. So the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. This story is so rich in details. It's fun to see like all the little pieces of this story. I especially appreciate these prayers that um, the servant has. We think the guy's name was Eleazar because that was a, a servant mentioned earlier, but the Bible doesn't really say specifically. But the servant prays to God and asks for guidance. And I think that's a really good principle, don't you? I mean, if God cares about what you eat, if He cares about what you're going to wear, if He cares about where you live, certainly He cares about who you'll spend the rest of your life with doing mission and service for Him, right? And if He cares, why not ask Him for help? And now, it might sound odd, but a lot of young people, or I've heard of a lot of young people uh, who begin in their teens to pray for the one that God will have them marry. I'm not saying praying like, uh, Lord, please show me who you want me to marry. Uh, probably teens is a little bit young to make that decision, right? For most of us. But if you pray in, in this way, Lord, whoever it is that you'd have me marry, 
please prepare them now because <laughs> it's in your teens that you're making some of the most important decisions about who you will be and the kind of character that you'll have. And, and so praying for them makes a, a lot of good sense. Lord, prepare them now. Let them be surrendered to you today. Asking for God's guidance, I think, is really an important part of this uh, process. And, and notice how the servant prayed for some specific signs. He said, I'd like to see this kind of thing in the, the woman that Isaac would marry. And, and notice the things that he prayed for. He prayed for kindness and diligence. I mean, he's not just testing to see if this is a beautiful young lady. He's wanting to see if this is a diligent, faithful, hardworking young lady. And he's wanting to see if she's kind. If she has the kind of generosity and, and um, uh, welcoming attitude, that would be a good fit for Isaac. When you see a kind person, you see the work of the Holy Spirit. You know that God's in that person. Now, you might find a kind person that doesn't believe in Jesus, that claims to not have a walk with Christ. And, and I would recommend that you don't get entangled with that kind of person. Kindness is wonderful, but without Jesus, um, it's not the whole picture. And, and the other is also true. Sometimes you can have somebody who claims to share your faith, but in their life, they are neither kind nor diligent. They're lazy and they're self-focused. And while they might claim to know Jesus, their heart uh, reveals, their life reveals a different kind of heart. Kindness is a really important key element in this story of marriage because marriage is filled with sinners. Every person who has ever been married has sinned and brings sin into the relationship. And, and the heart that is kind is a heart that is generous and graceful and, and responds with forgiveness and with a, a willingness to receive. That's essential for a good relationship. And I think it's wise that Eliezer asks God to give him a sign, to show him a lady that would be kind. But also, it's also important for Rebecca to be this woman that's diligent and faithful and hardworking. Um, if, you, if you think about the story, he's got 10 camels, and camels are known to drink, what, 50 gallons of water in three minutes when they're not thirsty. So, so 10 times 50, in, that's 500 gallons that is not an insignificant amount of water. Notice how it said in the text, um, and finally, when she was done, you know, <laughs> there's a time that it took to do this. How many people do you know that get partway through something and then stop? This is not Rebecca. Rebecca is diligent and faithful. She finishes what she starts. And this is an important, I think, an important thing for us to look for in somebody that is marriageable material. Uh, are they somebody who follows through, who finishes what they start, who's diligent? Are, are they going to stand up after dinner and say, how can I help clean up? Or are they going to sit there? Now I'm feeling guilty because last night I didn't help clean up. <laughs> right? What, what, is, what is the way that they do life? How, is, how does that demonstrate the kind of heart that they have, the diligence and willingness to help? If you come across some beautiful girl or some handsome fellow, make sure that they're the kind of person who is willing to step in and say, how can I help? Who has followed through and who will be diligent in work. Our fifth principle comes from this passage and it says that you need to make sure that this person can provide for your family. When 
Abraham's servant piled 10 camels with gifts. What do you think he was trying to communicate to this woman that would come back to Isaac? Security. This is not squalor that you're going to be coming back to. There's something provi- being provided for you, right? Um, and, and this, is, I think, is a really important principle when you're thinking about uh, marriage. Are you at the time of life where you can marry? Well, a good question is, can you provide for a family? <laughs> Could you bring gifts, right, and, uh, and, and shower somebody with wealth? Well, maybe, maybe not like that. Um, and it's interesting, the, the story goes that, that the first thing he does before he gives any other thing is he gives her a nose ring and, and bracelets. And, and I'm sure there's some people in the room right now that would like me to underscore that that's not what we do here. <laughs> Jewelry isn't cool anymore, apparently. But, but that's not the point of the text. The point of the text has nothing to do with whether jewelry is good or bad. It's a demonstration of financial security. Uh, today, if you shower somebody with, with jewelry, you probably haven't demonstrated financial security. You've probably demonstrated debt. Um, so that's not a good plan. <laughs> um, if, you, if, you have, if your wealth is obtained in gold bullion and, and, uh, and, and silver coins, then please give some silver coins and some gold bullion to your, your you know, person to be and show them that you've got wealth. But that's not really what we're talking about here. It's not so much about jewelry. God's wanting us to, to, to recognize that there's value in being prepared before you enter into a covenant relationship that requires some financial security. This is one of the reasons that, that uh, young people that marry really young often don't last, because there's lots of financial struggle when you've got people that don't have any college degree and there's lots of struggle in that moment and then you get a child in the mix and then there's more struggle in that moment and you don't have all of the the things prepared and it's really stressful and a lot of people just give up. If you've got a little bit more time to build the foundation for wealth and the foundation for wealth is education for a, uh, a good career and it's wise management of money. And when I say wealth, I'm not talking about lots and lots and lots of money. I'm talking about simple security that says, I don't have to put something on a credit card in order to provide my daily food and a place to live and transportation. And, and I know that sounds like not really spiritual, but did you know that the Bible says that a person who can't provide for their family is worse than a heathen, an infidel? That sounds pretty spiritual to me, doesn't it, to you? This is a, this is a, a character issue as much as it, as it is a money issue. And so when, when uh, Abraham's servant brings wealth and says Isaac can provide, um, he's saying Isaac's got a good character. He's the kind of person that you can trust and you can be secure in. And gentlemen, when we handle our finances well and we're able to, to give nice gifts to our, our uh, uh, spouses, our girlfriends, we're telling them, like, not only am I going to give you something nice, and I didn't have to put that on a credit card, <laughs> but I can also provide for everything else. But it's also true that, that Rebecca was a woman of wealth, too. She brought a lot to the story. She was the kind of person that was coming out to the well, and she was probably doing that because she was part of her parents' kitchen, and she was handling the, the affairs of a home and, and working through all of the, well, the home economy. 
And I think it's really important for us to consider the kind of person she was. The fact that she was diligent in that moment meant that she was also diligent at other moments in her life and that she was the kind of person who probably had a wide variety of skills in managing a home. Um, so, like, finding somebody who's a, a loving and kind and, and uh, interested in, uh, in raising children, well, that's important if you're going to have children, right? And, and finding somebody who's um, diligent to work but also kind and present uh, in, a, in a man, well, that's really good because children need a man too. Uh, these uh, preparedness, like the ability, not just financial ability, but the ability to manage a home is part of this story. Let's keep reading in verse 28. It says, he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister, uh, on his sister's wrist, and had heard Rebecca tell what the man had said, and so he rushed out to the spring where the man was still standing beside his camels. Uh, Laban said to him, come and stay with us, you who are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing here outside the town when I have room already for you and a place prepared for the camels? So the man went home with Laban, and Laban unloaded the camels, gave him straw for the bedding, fed them, and provided water for the man and the camel, uh, camel drivers to wash their feet. And then uh, the servant explains the story to all the family. This is what happened. This is how I was commanded to, to come out here and to find a wife. And this is how I prayed and how God answered the prayer. And this is um, all, all these details um, so that they would understand that this was God that was leading. And then in verse 49, he says, So tell me, will you or won't you show unfailing love and faithfulness to my master? Please tell me yes or no, and then I will know what to do next. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, The Lord has obviously brought you here, so there is nothing that we can say. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go. Yes, let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. Now, that's all nice and good and everything, but there's a question mark here. Did Rebekah want to go? <laughs> Let's keep reading. When Abraham's servant heard the answer, he bowed down to the ground and worshiped the Lord. Then he brought out silver and gold jewelry and clothing and presented them to Rebekah. He also gave expensive presents to her brother and her mother. Then they ate their meal, and the servant and the men with him stayed there overnight. But early the next morning, Abraham's servant said, Send me back to my master. But we want Rebecca to stay here with us for ten days, her brother and mother said, and then she can go. But he said, Don't delay me. The Lord made my mission successful. Now send me back so that I can return to my master. Well, they said, we'll call Rebecca and ask her what she thinks. I'm glad that they finally did this. <laughs> so they called Rebecca. Are you willing to go with the man? They asked her. And she replied, yes, I will go. So they said goodbye to Rebecca and sent her away with Abraham's servant and his men. The woman who had been Rebecca's childhood nurse went along with her, and they gave her this blessing as she parted. Our sister, may you become the mother of many millions. May your descendants be strong and conquer the cities of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her servant girls mounted the camels and followed the man. So Abraham's servant's servant took Rebekah and went on his way. This is an obvious principle, but it needs to be stated. They need to be willing. Now, I say this because some really nice young men uh, that I've known um, <laughs> have approached this in the wrong way. They pray, and they, they look around, and they say, oh, she's a fine young woman, and they pray, and they feel convicted in their heart that God wants them to marry this nice woman, and, uh, and, and then in one case, he wrote a letter, 
explaining how God had led and, and how this was God's plan. I mean, it was kind of like um, Abraham's servant's appeal. He, he wrote this letter and gave it to her, and she smirked, and she said, no way. God might have told you that, but she, he has not told me that. That was not a successful relationship. And just to be clear, that was the beginning of the relationship. That was a bad plan. <laughs> you need to have willingness on both sides. And it's, again, it's obvious, but let's make sure we recognize that, that this isn't just the parents making an arrangement. This is a, a willingness on both parts, uh, in, in both Rebecca and later on in Isaac. Sometimes a person can get their, he- their heart set on a conclusion. Um, a young man that I, I know, just to be clear, this was not me. Um, I could have told my own story, but, but I'm going to tell somebody else's. <laughs> a young man that I know got to know a young woman. They were both about 14 when um, she had to leave and go move across the country. And this young man, uh, he's, he, he was kind of getting his hopes up that this would be more than a friendship and kind of thinking that he'd like to marry this girl. He's 14. So, you know, there's, there's time, and time passes. They're in different places. They end up going to different colleges, he in the north, she in the south, and, and uh, he learned after the first year, not quite a year of college, that she was engaged to another young, young man, and it kind of broke his heart. He was really disappointed. Now, if you would have talked to her, it would have been like an eye-opening surprise that he had any interest at all in her. Sometimes our heart can get set on something without the actual relationship developing anywhere. And I think that this is an important thing to recognize. Both parties need to be willing, and that requires some development in the relationship, and, and it requires some intentionality in the relationship. So let's talk about the process for a moment. I mentioned that it's a good idea to have a, a wide group of friends around you, godly young people that love Jesus as well, that are involved in service, involved in worship, involved in, uh, in mission. Um, and, and when you have young people around you that actually are interested in these kinds of things, then you're going to find one or two or three or four or six or eight or ten, I don't know how many, depends on how big your group is, that, that you would say, I'd like to pay attention to them and see what comes of a friendship with these young men or young women, right? Um, you don't have to narrow the field very much, uh, but spend time with them. Work with them, play with them, worship with them, serve with them, do ministry with them, do mission with them. And you'll find as you do those things that that field will narrow considerably. And you'll be like, no, never mind, <laughs> not that one. Um, he's lazy or she's beautiful, but she's got a long way to go to learn even how to balance a budget or cook a, a meal. So let's, let's let that one percolate a little longer, right? Um, and and you, you start to narrow the field, and it may be that there's a few uh, that you say, these are people that I'd like to, to get to know a lot better. And maybe just one, you'd say, I think it's time to explore an intentional relationship. I don't care if you call it dating, or if you call it courting, or if you call it ketchup. It, it doesn't matter what you call it. The point is that you enter a an intentional relationship that says, let's explore what God's will is for our lives together. And ideally, a relationship like that understands that the outcome is not marriage. The outcome is a decision whether God is calling you to be married or calling you to not be married. 
and done well with propriety, a relationship like this will lead to a growth in your skills in relating to other people. And you could have one and be married, like my wife and I. We, we are the first um, boyfriend, girlfriend that either of us had. Or it might be that you have six or ten. And that's all right. Each time you can get to know yourself and get to know other people and grow in your relationship skills, but if it's done well and you recognize we're looking for God's will in this environment. Intentionality, I think, is, is important. Um, that, that this isn't just a, let's try on marriage. That's not what dating or courting or whatever you want to call it should be. It's let's discover God's will for our, our relationship. And speaking of propriety, let's bring up that other thing that we read in this text. It said that she was marriageable age and that she was a virgin. Now, there is this whole thing, a uh, purity culture that I grew up with, and uh, you, you have books like I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Um, that man had the perfect um, uh, courtship and apparently the perfect marriage, and then he kissed his wife goodbye, and he kissed his faith goodbye. Um, it's not a book I would recommend. <laughs> there, there's not a lot of value there when a 19-year-old tells you what dating should be like. <laughs> it's just his journal, and take it for what it's worth. But what I find is that um, in our culture today, we have um, begun to see, especially in, in media and in books and things like this, we've begun to see um, intimacy, physical intimacy that God designed for marriage, that He designed for two people to experience only between their, themselves in marriage. That, that we've said that that's just about pleasure and fun. Whoever you have it with, however it works, just have pleasure and have fun. And it doesn't work that way. God designed this, and if we bring it out of the context of marriage, then it hurts people. And it's called sin, not just because God says, uh-uh-uh, not yet. <laughs> it's, it's called sin because sin is doing things your own way when God is said to do something different, and sin is anything that is against love. And, and what happens, God has said that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and that means that when we sin we push the Holy Spirit away. Now, if you're wanting God's will for your life and you're pushing the Holy Spirit away, it's going to be hard to hear God's will for your life. And that's one of the challenges. You sin by pushing God away, and that breaks your relationship with Him. But the other challenge is that when you bring physical intimacy into a relationship where spiritual and emotional and mental intimacy needs to, to be the foundation of your relationship, then you actually undercut all of those other things so that your, your relationship like just does a 90-degree a, a turn and looks specifically at physical intimacy and often ignores the development of the other types of intimacy in a relationship. And if you do get married, it, it, it means there's a longer haul to figure out how to be one like God designed us to be one. So it's something that I think we undermine as though it's insignificant. Don't worry about it. But I think it's really important when we have the integrity to say, I'm going to wait and open that beautiful gift that God designed for my wedding day on my wedding day, then that gift is so much better. You might be like Rebecca and have a pure heart, but I'm sure there's people in, in our, our congregation that, that have 
a uh, different experience than Rebecca. We'll put it that way. And, and, uh, and some cultures, some Christian ideas of purity would suggest that if you haven't maintained that uh, Rebecca experience, then you're defiled. And that's, that's just, you know, your, your character is black, you've got sin on you, you're not, not acceptable anymore. And that's just not the case. God is a God of redemption. God is a God of healing. He says, if, you, if you've sinned, right, confess your sin, and He will forgive and cleanse. And if God can cleanse, I think He can do a pretty good job of it, don't you think? Yeah, we can trust Him with that. But, but here's a challenge. What, what if you're a 20-something or a 30-something-year-old, and, and uh, you're searching for a spouse? How many of your peers are like Rebecca? Probably not a lot. Which brings this question, should I be looking for uh, somebody that has um, purity of heart and, and body that, that's like a Rebecca? And, and I think that's great, but it's more important to search for somebody who has a heart of repentance and a heart that's following God, even if they have experience in the past one of the challenges that you have is if you have somebody that doesn't have experience and somebody that does, then the person with experience kind of pushes the person who doesn't to move faster in that physical intimacy than, than they otherwise would have been willing to. You don't want that kind of experience. So you need somebody whose heart is surrendered to God, confessed and repented and come back to follow God's path. That's the ideal. The question isn't, have they sinned before? It's, are they faithful, repentant, and following Jesus? Towards the end of Genesis 24, we find Rebekah coming to Isaac on a camel. And notice this verse. One evening as he was walking and meditating in the fields. Underscore that word, meditating in the fields. He looked up and he saw the camels coming. When Rebekah looked up and saw Isaac, she quickly dismounted from her camel who is that man walking through the fields to meet us? She asked the servant. And he replied, it is my master. So Rebecca covered her face with her veil. Notice that while Isaac was waiting for his servant to return, he was praying. He was there in the fields meditating. There's another example of this, and I think it's, I think this is just a really important principle to just underscore in our hearts as young people uh, or as people that are longing for uh, a spouse. Back, uh, I don't know, 1,500 years, 2,000 years before Abraham's story here was a story of creation, and God made Adam. He made him alone, and Adam felt his aloneness and his need, and sometimes we feel that need when we're single and longing for relationship and oneness and intimacy. We feel that need, and then we chase after it in inappropriate ways, running ahead of God. And God did something important with Adam. He put him to sleep. And while Adam slept, God designed a partner for him. Who's doing the work of creating your spouse? God is doing that work, which means that you can wait patiently for Him, and He's going to provide for all of your needs at the right time, at His timing. And that might be when you're uh, 18, <laughs> some of us in the room. Um, it might be when you're 40, like Isaac. At His time, if you're 
waiting, praying, and you are willing to, to let God make you into the person that He wants you to be, the person that uh, is marriageable material, then, then He's going to provide the spouse that He's designed for you at the right time, and you can say thank you to God. I believe whatever your circumstance, God has a plan. And I'm not saying that we should close our eyes in the meantime. You know the story of the man who was uh, in a flood and he was on the rooftop. You've heard this story, right? And he prays, Lord, please help me, um, save me. And uh, he then turns down a boat that came by and he turns down a helicopter that came by um, and then he dies, right? <laughs> the thing is, God had provided resources. I've seen so many young people with expectations to the moon, right? She has to be a 10, <laughs> right? He has to be wealthy, whatever the, the scenario is. We get these expectations in our mind, and they're so high that every time we face somebody that is potential, we say, no, they don't, they don't fit my mold. That's not the right one for me. And it's almost as if God is saying, here's a beautiful person that I've created that would be a perfect match for you. And then you say, no, thank you. God's providing me a spouse. <laughs> I've seen a lot of young people get into their 20s and their 30s and even their 40s without having been married, and yet they don't pursue those friendships and intentional relationships that would allow them to become married. I'm not saying when, you say, when I'm saying sleep that you close your eyes and ignore what's happening around you. I'm saying that instead of you chasing after um, relationships, be intentional, prayerful, and let God lead you. When Joelle and I first met, she was, in her, she was 18, and I thought she was immature, and I was in my early 20s, and she thought I was weird and awkward. <laughs> I was. That's fair. Um, she was taking a marriage and family class, and one of the things that she had to do was write a list of the qualities, the, the character qualities and the values that she had, and... Um, Correct me if I get this wrong, Joel. Um, but she had to write this, this list, and, and she had this list, and a few days later, she was in my office, and she was asking me for something, and I'm searching for it on my computer and getting it printed out, and in the meantime, she's looking at my bookshelf, and she sees a book by Robert Frost on the shelf, a poem book, and that just triggered something because uh, a man that likes poetry was on her list, and she suddenly realized that I matched most of her list. And that disgusted her so much that she left without getting what she came for. <laughs> a couple years later, we were um, a little less um, uh, against the idea of a friendship, and uh, God started to build a, a really nice friendship between us, and we're married today. Letting God lead you is the priority not being closed-minded or having your eyes closed. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him. In the meantime, make sure you're the woman or man that God wants you to be, that somebody else, let me say it the other way, God is designing you to be a spouse for somebody else while they wait patiently and rest in Him. Now, I know that, that uh, I've been focusing on the young people, and some of you are long past dozens or, or more years past this decision. And, 
And, and hopefully, while I've been focusing on young people, you've been gleaning a few interesting points. Th- these are not character traits that are solely um, good for the context of considering a spouse. Kindness, faithfulness, diligence, um, financial security, um, prayer, surrender to the Lord. These are things we need in our whole lives, whether you're married or single. Um, at whatever phase that you're in, these are just good quality characteristics. Some of us find ourselves in marriages that did not start out like I'm describing, with the thoughtful, prayerful intentionality. And some of us have experienced great difficulty because of that. And some of us, praise the Lord, God has worked miracles and brought unity in in spite of our youthful foolishness. And I just want to say, praise the Lord for how He's worked in your lives and, and if you have not received that uh, healing and that oneness that you'd hoped for, I just want to say God is still in the business of redeeming people's hearts and people's marriages. Be intentional, whatever phase in your life you are. Grow the skills of re- good relationships. Be intentional about being a good spouse or a good potential boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Be intentional about developing the kind of character that you need to have. God cares about relationships, and He has beautiful designs for every one of us at whatever phase we're in, and our futures are in God's hands. One day, you'll look at how God has led you, and like Abraham's servant, you can bow down before God and worship Him. Let's stand together and sing